Welcome to another episode of Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who is striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 17.1, the first in a brand new series. This podcast has been going for a little bit over a year now, but there are still some gaping holes of composers that we have yet to discuss. Today, we're going to start filling in one of those holes and begin a series on some of the most popular piano works by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Despite a very brief life of only 35 years, Mozart was a prolific composer, writing over 800 works spanning every available genre and nearly every instrument of his time, including the piano, cello, organ, flute, oboe, horn, voice, and full orchestra. For this series, I've selected two of the most popular and well-known pieces from the set of 800. So I'm calling this Mozart's Greatest Hits. Mozart was one of the three titan composers of the classical era, along with Haydn and Beethoven. They were the pioneers of a brand new musical form and style, one that would remain popular for hundreds of years to come, the Piano Sonata. We'll talk more in detail about this in a bit, but a sonata is basically the classical version of the modern EP, a short album of about two to five tracks that typically lasts less than a half hour. During what I have planned for the second season of this podcast, we're going to explore a piano sonata from each of these three composers. So that should give us a good sampling of the classical period. And obviously, the first of these composers that we're going to sample is a sonata by Mozart. Today we're going to begin an analysis of Mozart's 16th piano sonata in C major. Now sonatas typically contain two to five distinct movements. This one falls squarely in the middle, with three. So for the next three episodes, we'll tackle one movement an episode. Mozart's Sonata No. 16 in C major sometimes goes by some misleading Italian nicknames. Sonata Facile, meaning easy sonata, and Sonata Semplice, meaning simple sonata. Now, for a sonata, this may be one of Mozart's more accessible works, But it's a bit disheartening to describe this piece as easy or simple for the person trying to learn it. But this title was intentional, and it was referring more to the melody instead of the difficulty of actually playing it. During the classical period, music expanded beyond the aristocracy. It wasn't just a rich man's sport. Mozart's music was popular within the middle class, because it was simplistic and not as stuffy and sophisticated as Baroque works like Bach. This may have been due to the fact that Mozart himself was born to a middle-class family. 
Mozart's father Leopold was a minor composer who experienced middling success with the violin textbook. He also gave his children keyboard lessons, including his four-year-old son, Wolfgang. Mozart's older sister, Nenurl, reflected on this time, and she wrote, He often spent much time at the clavier, picking out thirds, which he was ever striking, and his pleasure showed that it sounded good. In the fourth year of his age, his father, for a game as it were, began to teach him a few minuets and pieces at the clavier. He could play it faultlessly and with the greatest delicacy, and keeping exactly in time. At the age of five, he was already composing little pieces, which he played to his father who wrote them down. And Leopold did write these down, and he collected them in a notebook, which still survives, so we have them preserved today. Mozart's body of work was chronologically compiled by a man named Ludwig Ritter von Kirchhoff. And yes, believe it or not, my German pronunciation is just as bad as my French. This collection is commonly referred to with K numbers, ranging from 1 to above 600. This is the first piece included in that Kirchhoff catalog. Mozart wrote it when he was only 5 years old, according to his sister. This is Mozart's Andante and C, also classified as K1A. Now, keep in mind that this was originally written on a harpsichord, so it would have sounded a little bit different, but regardless, I want you to picture a world where your five-year-old can not only play something that's sophisticated with their tiny little fingers, but they wrote that with their tiny little brain. Honestly, I think I'd be terrified. I just don't want my five-year-old to be smarter than me. How in the world do you raise a child prodigy? Well, I'll tell you what Mozart's parents did. They packed their bags and they went on tour, showcasing their two young children, Nenerl and their six-year-old son, Wolfgang. They were invited to courts in Munich, Vienna, Prague, Paris, London, Amsterdam, Zurich, and Dover. During this time, Mozart wrote his very first symphony, which cemented the young prodigy on the path to overachieving prolific composer. While they were in London, a man named Danes Barrington put Mozart to the test, giving him a variety of pieces to sight-read, and he published a report detailing this experiment. Here's an excerpt from that manuscript. The score was no sooner put upon his desk than he began to play the symphony in a most masterly manner as well as in the time and style which corresponded with the intention of the composer. Everybody agreed that Mozart was a star. Disregarding a couple breaks for family illness and being in between payments and funding, Mozart spent a majority of his childhood on the road. He was the toast of Europe 
and may have been one of the first major child stars in history. And this fame would stick with him for the rest of his life. So let's get back to the piece at hand. Mozart's Sonata Facile in C major, K535. Mozart was 32 when he wrote this sonata, back in 1788, three years before he died. It wasn't popular during his lifetime. In fact, it wasn't even published until way after he died in 1805. But it remains one of Mozart's most recognized melodies to this day, possibly thanks to Saturday morning cartoons. I'd be willing to bet that all of you will instantly recognize this piece because it has been drilled into our brains while we were watching Bugs Bunny. Like I mentioned before, this sonata contains three movements, and we're going to focus on movement number one today, which also happens to contain the theme you just heard, one of Mozart's most well-recognized works. As this is a sonata in C major, the first movement naturally follows the aptly named title, centering itself on C major. C major, the key of Innocent happiness. Completely pure, simple, and naive. The key of children. Free of burden, full of imagination. Powerful resolve and earnestness. A fitting key for the sonata known as the simple sonata. The key that bears the central core of the movement is also referred to as the tonic key. So the tonic key of this movement is C major. And while we may drift and visit other keys during this piece, C major is going to be what feels like home to our ears. One of the major and obvious ways to establish the sense of home is to literally begin your piece with the tonic key. So let's start right at the beginning. Movement number one is written in sonata form, which was the hallmark style that was invented and popularized during the classical period. We've talked about this a bit in detail before with a pair of Beethoven sonatas, but we're going to review everything here. Sonata style is made up of three components, the exposition, the development, and the recapitulation. The exposition introduces two musical themes. The development plays upon these themes, and the recapitulation recalls those themes one last time, bringing everything home. And that's really the big picture of the sonata. So let's break this movement down with regard to the sonata form. We begin with the exposition, which introduces the two themes of the movement. The sonata wastes no time and opens immediately with theme number one in the tonic key of C major. It's a timeless melody that is arguably one of the most well-recognized pieces in the entire realm of classical music.
Now the second theme in the exposition is generally presented in a different key. And the classic example is the dominant key. The dominant key is just a fancy name for the fifth tone of a scale. So if our home key is C major, the dominant key would be C, D, E, F, G. The classic example to train your ear to hear a fifth or a dominant is to think of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That is your Twinkle Twinkle Little Jump to the Dominant. So here is Mozart introducing theme number two in the dominant key of G major. Up next, we move on to the second part of the sonata form, the development. This is the section where the composer gets to play around with the two themes that we were introduced to in the exposition, twisting them around, bending them into different shapes, and utilizing a variety of different keys. We know when the development hits in this movement because the key shifts dramatically to minor. Mozart couldn't make it more obvious as he takes the lead-in to the development in G major, and immediately follows it with a stark shift to G minor. This is a tonal shift from the light, happy music that we've been hearing so far. The development takes things in a darker direction and modulates through a variety of minor keys, making it feel like we're aimless and lost and a little uneasy. But the development is fairly short in this movement, and it isn't long before we return to familiar sounds in a major key. Now we've arrived at the recapitulation. The recapitulation is a direct recall of the two themes introduced during the exposition, but the second time around brings them both back in the home key of the sonata. And while Mozart mostly played by the rules of the sonata form when writing this piece, he introduces a small twist here. Instead of bringing back theme number one in the tonic key of C major, he uses the subdominant key. Now we said earlier that the dominant key is the fifth tone of the scale, so you may be able to infer by the term subdominant that this refers to the fourth degree of the scale. So if C is our tonic, the subdominant would be C, D, E, F. This leap of a fourth is famously recalled by thinking of Wagner's Bridal Chorus, or as it's better known to some, Here Comes the Bride. This bend in the rules is documented in the book The Classical Style 
by American pianist Charles Rosen. He writes, The subdominant plays a special role in sonata style. It acts itself as a force for resolution. An anti-dominant, in fact. And there is a tendency for the second half of a sonata to move toward the subdominant. There even arose a kind of degenerate recapitulation, which began not in the tonic, but in the subdominant. The best known example of this is the little piano sonata in C major of Mozart, K545. Sound familiar? But it exists almost from the beginning of the sonata form. So apparently, this uh, little twist was not completely unheard of at the time, and it was actually a technique that would be picked up by Schubert later on. But by the time Mozart recapitulates the second theme, he follows the more traditional rule, and instead of writing it in the dominant key of G major, like it was during the exposition, he recapitulates it in the tonic key of C major. This fulfills the listener's sense of home and readies us for a safe landing after a flight through a plethora of keys, both major and minor, back in our warm, comfortable, fluffy C major bed. This is the first movement of Mozart's Sonata in C major, K545, also known as the Facile Sonata.
Next week, we'll continue on with the second, more intimate movement of this work, exploring the softer side of Mozart and the Sonata in C major. You can find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider a rating or leaving a five-star review. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.